Welcome to the podcast, Let the Prophets Speak. Today, we will complete our study of chapter 28 of the first book of Samuel with a fourth and final explanation and understanding of this chapter, which is the last one on the rationalistic scale. Now, in truth, if, and I urge you to listen to the previous three podcasts to understand where this particular podcast of today fits into the scheme of things. But um, we've been going along with the scheme that, that, that the commentators, based on the philosophy that they brought to the table, so to speak, interpreted and understood and learned from this chapter different lessons, all of which so far have been profoundly deep and important lessons. Uh, so, and the way I've been setting this up was we started with the most mystical, and that's in quotations, uh, mystical approach, all the way to the most rationalistic. So today then would be the rationalistic extreme. Uh, although in truth, it's not really more rationalistic than the one we just did, the previous one, where we studied Rabbeinu Chapnigon's approach. Because both today's approach, which I am going to attribute to the Ralbag, which stands for Rabbeinu Levi ben Gershom, who also is known in English as Gershonides, a well-known uh, rationalistic Jewish philosopher who wrote many uh, very important um, uh, commentaries on Tanakh. And um, <clears throat> his approach is very similar to, to Rabbeinu Chafnigon's in the sense that they both did not uh, give any power or credence to any such thing as any dark forces. They simply did not believe that such things even existed. And number two, they also didn't, were extremely minimalist when it came to uh, miracles. In other words, they did not ever want to explain anything unless with maybe some very notable exceptions in the Torah, but almost all the time when something miraculous happened, both of them would take the approach, and this is very much in the path of Maimonides, of explaining things in a rationalistic, nat a naturalistic, scientifically valid way. Although the word scientific is a more modern term that they would not have been familiar with, it's still a way that we can kind of understand what they're doing. However, the difference between Chafnigon's approach and Rabbeinu Sajigon's approach is that in Rabbeinu Chafnigon's approach, the, <clears throat> the necromancer was pulling off a trick. Uh, and it was completely a trick. Whereas in Rabbeinu Sajigon's approach, right, it, it's, so it's a trick which makes it, to some degree, a little bit difficult to believe because... You're talking about Saul, the king, and she's absolutely pulling off a completely bogus trick, right? She's, she's, uh, this necromancer is, is pretending there's an image there of Samuel, has, has some guy speaking from behind the curtain or from under the table or whatever, you know, and she's exposing herself to a tremendous amount of danger, which makes it somewhat difficult to imagine that she would have the guts to pull it off. But who knows? Maybe maybe so. I mean, Chavnigon would say, well, she was very, very experienced at tricking people. 
The Rabbah, Gersonides, has a completely different way of understanding this, which, which helps shed light to some degree on how Gersonides, how the Rabbah understood the concept of tapping into evil forces and how uh, people over the centuries and across cultures around the world for thousands of years People have seen, and I say that in quotes, and smelled and felt and heard things coming from a supernatural realm. There were, you know, and, and Gersonides has an explanation and explains how it was done. And when one reads through the language of Gersonides, he uses the Hebrew language of koach adimion, the, the, the ability to imagine. Now remember that what he's talking about is the ability of the shaman, who in this case is the necromancer, to create an imaginary image in the mind of the subject, of the other person who's there. So in this case, it would be the necromancer creating an imaginary image in the mind of Saul, so that Saul fully believes what he's seeing and feeling. Now, this is clearly, and I've spoken with experts on this matter, this is clearly what we would nowadays call hypnosis. Um, and this koach adimion, remember, we're not talking about the, the faculty of imagination that we each have within us, although that is also, to some extent, uh, hypnosis. We, it, the, the, the line between what's considered hypnosis and what's considered what we imagine ourselves is not a very sharp line. But over here, it is the ability of a person to induce that state in the person who is attending, who is coming for it. Now, one of the things that I gathered from my discussions with some experts in this matter is that in order to induce hypnosis, in a state of hypnosis in someone else, that other person needs to be willing to accept it. He, needs to, he or she needs to be ready and willing to be placed in a state of hypnosis. They have to be an extent to they have to be willing to make themselves vulnerable and trust the person who is inducing that state of hypnosis. If a person walks into a state uh, into uh, to a hypnotist uh, with and is not willing to allow himself or herself to become hypnotized, then it they can't become hypnotized. In other words, you have a choice as to whether or not to allow yourself to sink into that state. Now, this is crucial because this helps us really understand this chapter in a completely different light. So it starts off similar, right, where Saul wants to go to this Oviedoni, right? He wants to go to this. Remember, Saul has been in these, uh, in these uh, states of prophecy before. He's been in these trance-like states. Um, and those were trance-like states of spirituality, of holiness, and they were looked upon as a sign of his holiness. But Saul apparently cannot differentiate, right, between what which what of these uh, spiritual states are positive and good, and which are not, and which are negative, and 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 um, and over here he allows him in the good cases and this is the crucial difference one allows themselves into hypnosis with someone that they trust right or whether it's a person doing it or it's a self-hypnosis state of self-hypnosis when it's being done for a positive purpose 
or if it's with the hypnotist, when you trust that hypnotist that he or she is helping you achieve something positive or do something good, right? But when one enters a state of hypnosis, right, by someone who is malicious, by someone who has a devious motive, it can become dangerous. That's why one has to be able to trust their hypnotist. It's very possible for a hypnotist to be, to be um, immoral, to do something wrong, and, 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 and induce bad things that are destructive to the subject. Over here, this woman is extremely interesting what she does with Saul, right? Well, how she induces the state of this Koach HaDimyon. But now let's look at it. Let's, let's go through the chapter again and some of the crucial events. Saul gets rid of, again, we're going to start the same way we started with the other ones. He gets rid of all of the Ovod Bidonim. He gets rid of all the necromancers and, and spirit talkers, etc. from the land. Right? So now the only form of, of, of this type of spirituality, of this type of Kohadim and imagination, is when one goes to God. Now, when Saul goes to turn to God, right? Um, and he says, I'm going to turn to God, why is it that he doesn't get what he's looking for? Before he entered states of Nevoah, he entered states uh, where he did get what he was looking for, but now all of a sudden he does not. Now this is, speaks to the psychology of Saul at this time. Saul is not looking within himself for strength. He's looking somewhere else for strength. He's looking outside of himself for someone else to come and save him. But that's exactly the opposite of what a leader of a people about to go to, to battle should be doing. That person should, needs to draw upon the skills and strength and knowledge that he has himself. This speaks to a tremendous lack of confidence. This is why when he goes to, to enter a state of, 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 of uh, this, the state of Dimion, the state of imagination, to the Gamba Chalomot from verse 6, where he turns to God and God was lo anahu. God did not answer him. He did not find anything. He did not find any strength within himself. So instead, he needs to go look to someone else, right? He didn't find any strength within himself because that's what God would have wanted him to do. So instead, he has to go. So Vayomer Sha'ola Abadov, this is verse 7. So Saul says to his servants, Bakshuli, find for me an Eshet Balato, some woman who can do this for me. And I will go to her, and I will search and I will ask her, right? So all of a sudden, Saul goes, you know, they, they, they bring him to this, this Balat Ov. The Balat Ov now, if you're in our, in our last uh, podcast, we mentioned how the people understood that Saul, what his flaws were. They understood that his lack of confidence. They understood that he had this, this flaw where he would look to these magical things to help him. But over here, it's even more than that. It's even deeper than that. This woman understood how vulnerable he was how vulnerable the king was, and how with her abilities as, and I'm going to say it as a hypnotist in this case, her ability to induce a state of dimyon within Saul's mind, right? She knew that he would be extremely susceptible to that right now. Now at this key time, he could be hypnotized in a snap because he's desperately looking for something. And if she gives him that something, he'll take it in a second. He's desperately looking for something to come and save him. Immediately, 
he comes in, and it's possible even to argue that she may not have known right away that he was Saul, but as soon as he asked for Samuel, right, as soon as he asked for Samuel, she realized who would be the one who asks that Samuel should be the one and gives him strength. The same one, the same king, who constantly tried to ask Samuel for help, you know, let's bring some sacrifices. Yes, Samuel is great. We're going to go worship God now. And Sam, you know, Saul was the one who acted and behaved that way so many times as we've studied until now. If he asks for Samuel, clearly this is the king and he's looking to get some kind of help from somewhere else, right? Um, so she creates this image in his mind and and once this image is in his mind, the uh, the image of Samuel um, in in the in the state of hypnosis that she induces tells Saul exactly what um, what he doesn't want to hear. And again, similar to what we had yesterday, knowing her knowing Saul's weakness, she she has that image speak to Saul and say you have been rejected by God. You have failed. Because she, along with all of the people, already knew and understood Saul's failure. He wouldn't look into himself for strength. That's not the kind of king that we need. And the people understood that. The people knew that. And she, as a member of the people of the nation, understood that, um, that this king is a king that should... What that that um that should not be leading that should not be the leader of the people if he doesn't have that strength on his own and he's constantly looking to other places other sources of help that kind of king she will give him a meal and send him back to battle to his ultimate death which we are going to read about soon so this concludes our four different understandings of this chapter each of one fascinating each of one has incredibly interesting lessons to learn and um I hope this allows you, as, 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 as who is listening to this podcast and studying together with me, understand that there's so many facets to each chapter in Tanakh. There's so many ways to understand it. And, you know, and we could do this often with many chapters, and many people see different things, different pieces of wisdom within these chapters, and they're all beautiful, they're all valid, they're all important, and they're all true. Now that we've completed these, these different ways of understanding the chapter, you can understand our approach to the end of the kingdom of Saul, what happens, what's about to happen in the next few chapters. This will be a segue, and looking forward to studying chapter 29 together, and of course the entire book of Samuel.